0: Hello welcome to the Hot Seat. I'm Martin Rogers. I'm here with Dr Maya Rasmussen of the Government Department. And we're making use of Nigel Farage's recent visit to the LSE to talk about the European elections coming up this May. First of all, welcome Maya. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. So who are UKIP's voters?
1: So there's this perception that UKIP voters are middle class disgruntled conservatives living in the shires. And while some of the voters definitely constitute that group, um, the most common UKIP voter has quite a sharp profile. So uh, researchers talk about UKIP voters as being male, pale and stale. So they are predominantly male, which is a common trait among uh, many European populist uh, right-wing groups. You also have that with Front National in France, although Marine Le Pen has managed to reach out to women after she has taken over the leadership of the party. Um, they're pale, they're mainly British white. You only have about uh, 0.4% being non-British white. And then they're relatively old. Um, so most of UKIP's voters and members are born before the 1950s, so it's a relatively old um, electorate. and. Uh, more than that, they tend to be from um, disadvantaged groups of society in terms of uh, socioeconomics. So many of the voters have left school at the age of 16. And when you think about the kind of views, political views they hold, they are generally very sceptical towards uh, the ruling institutions of society, so towards parliament, they have low trust in politics, um, they are anti-immigration. Um, they are Eurosceptic. Uh, However, it should be said that in terms of anti-immigration, UKIP is not a racist party, but they are critical towards immigration. And in terms of Euroscepticism, it's not not a core value of UKIP. You have voters within UKIP, some of the older ones, who in the past have been more pro-EU, particularly because they saw EU membership as a vehicle to vent off a communist threat um, but that's not so much the case any longer. So so there you have the voters being more Eurosceptic, but not all of them.
0: So given that, what are the challenges that UKIP is facing going forward?
1: Well, there are a couple of challenges. So first of all, the main challenge is to reach out to a broader um, share of the population. So to, to try to work on the gender gap that UKIP currently has and try to appeal to female voters and to try to do something drastically about appealing to younger voters because if they do not manage to get younger voters on board UKIP is so to speak going to die out at a certain point. Uh, More interestingly uh, the main challenge after the European Parliament election in May um, is that UKIP is likely to get uh, a lot of votes because European Parliament elections are seen as protest votes so they're likely to get people voting for them that do not usually vote UKIP and their main challenge is then to to, uh, try to hold on to these voters for the 2015 general elections. So that's the main challenge. And if they do manage to hold on to these voters, you could imagine that UKIP could get a seat in the British Parliament.
0: UKIP are not the only Eurosceptic party expected to do well. There's a lot of expert opinion saying that uh, this is something we're going to see all throughout Europe. So... Why is it, on what basis are those predictions made, and where does that support come from?
1: Well, you could generally talk about three factors. So, first of all, um, your sceptic parties, and here we're not only talking about populist right-wing parties, we're also talking about left-wing parties, so extreme left-wing parties, um, are doing really well in opinion polls. And there are estimates in Brussels saying, I mean, these are all estimates, we don't know what will happen, that... um, Populist right-wing parties are going to get about 100 of the 766 seats in the European Parliament and that extreme left-wing parties are going to get about 90 of the seats. So that's quite a big chunk. Um, So that's one thing based on opinion polls. Secondly, uh, which is probably quite a predictable factor, is that uh, populist right-wing parties are doing very well in national elections as well as in local elections. So we saw UKIP last year having a very successful uh, by-election in the UK. We saw the recent election in France, the presidential and parliamentary election where um, uh, Front National did extremely well. We saw the Greek parliamentary election in 2012 where Golden Dawn got uh, quite a lot of seats in the Greek parliament. Um, So if that trend continues, you could imagine that that would also happen at the European parliament level. And lastly, um, voters, they uh, use the European Parliament, as I mentioned earlier, as a protest vote. And it's somehow seen as a stick to beat incumbent governments with. And given that um, the policies of today in terms of economic policies are austerity measures, you could imagine particularly suffering countries such as Italy, Spain, Portugal, Ireland, to turn against the governments and vote for more extreme parties. But we don't know what will happen. But these are the predictions, and it's very likely to happen.
0: So, what are the prospects for you? Keep doing well in the upcoming European elections, in the by-elections between now and the general, and the general itself. Are we likely to see a United Kingdom Independence Party member of Parliament in twenty fifteen?
1: A member of the UK Parliament. Yeah. If they manage to hold on to the voters, they're going to get in the European Parliament election, yes. But of course you have a different electoral system. So in in the European Parliament you have proportional representation, whereas in the UK you have first-past-the-post, and that's why it's so difficult for the UKIP to get a seat in the British Parliament. But if they manage to hold on to the voters, and if they manage to reach out to younger voters, then yes. Uh, What is interesting in terms of the European Parliament is that UKIP is somehow finding itself, uh, from my perspective, in a dilemma because they are against EU membership, so they want the UK to withdraw. Having said that, they are not against the single market, so they would like to get an arrangement like Turkey has or like Switzerland has and and still participate in the single market. And interestingly enough, as you remember from the visit of Nigel Farahs recently, uh, he was talking to the Turkish Prime Minister who was visiting the European Parliament, and he was very happy f- uh, by suggesting to the Turkish minister, that, or Prime Minister that Turkey and the UK should swap position. Uh, so that's one element that he's sceptical he's towards the EU, but at the same time it's the only formal institution that has secured UKIP rep- formal representation and has secured UKIP a voice on the political scenes. And wasn't it for the European Parliament elections? They wouldn't have any political voice, at least in the British Parliament.
0: Are they likely to join, if they do do well as they are expected to do, are they likely to join with uh, one of the groupings in the European Parliament? Farage himself refused to commit himself on that question when it was asked in his visit to the LSE. And if they were to or whether they were not to, what influence could they actually have besides uh, his diatribes against Van Rompuy? And what real impact can they have in the European Parliament, even if they do very well?
1: Well, let's start with the political grouping and then we turn to the actual influence. So at the moment UKIP is sitting in a um, far-right political group called EFD, Europe of Freedom and Democracy, where you, uh, among others, have um, the Danish People's Party, who is not against the EU, but they're against the federal EU. So there they differ from UKIP. And you also have Liga Nord, again, who's not against the EU, but who is sceptical towards a federal EU. So they're very different parties compared to the UKIP. But what is going to happen in the next election is that Marine Le Pen has joined forces with Gerd Wilders, who is the Dutch leader of the Dutch Freedom Party, and they are going to make a new pol- political group, which is like to likely to be more extreme than EFD. And Nigel Farage, um, when he visited the LSE last week, said that he will by no, no means join forces with Marine Le Pen, whose some of, of her members are seen as kind of having Nazi inclinations and, and being quite racist. So the so UKIP doesn't want to be associated with that. But the problem is that Marine Le Pen is, is, is forming groups with some of the parties of the EFD. So the real question is, if EFD would get beyond the threshold, so you need 25 MEPs from seven member states to form a group, And uh, unless UKIP does really well and some of its other members of EFD do really well, they are unlikely to be able to form a group. So that could leave UKIP as being um, independent or unaffiliated members in the European Parliament, which would leave them completely without influence. Because if you're not part of a political group, you don't get speaking time in the plenary, you are not secured a membership of a committee, um, you get less staff and you don't get funding. So there are a lot, lot of perks of being a member of a political group. Um, now turning to the influence. We can look at the influence UKIP has had until now. Um, and and to, to sum it up in one sentence, they're making a lot of noise. So they're barking a lot, but they're not really biting. Um, so, so So UKIP and many other your skeptic groups on, on the right wing side of, of politics um, are somehow against the the cohesion culture you got in the European Parliament or uh, the compromising culture you have, so you need uh, at least in second reading a grand coalition to have things being adopted in European Parliament. And UKIP is somehow reacting against this by voting no in most plenary sessions. So Nigel Farage has voted no 86% of all roll call votes in the last five years. So they're being very reactionary and not wanting to cooperate at all. So that leaves them without influence. Um, Secondly, they very rarely get any reports. So the European Parliament amends uh, the Commission's proposals by writing reports that are then voted upon, so they very rarely write reports or opinions, and they very rarely put forward amendments. But when they do put forward amendments, they very rarely uh, get adopted. So they don't really have any tangible influence. And lastly, what they are good at, which is interesting, and where they completely outdo any other MEPs in the European Parliament. Uh, is that they're very good at holding very long uh, speeches in the European Parliament. You mentioned Van Rompuy, uh, the speech, the infamous speech where Nigel Farage completely harassed uh, Van Rompuy, the president of the European Council, by, among other things, calling him a middle rank uh, bank clerk who was completely technocratic and didn't have any democratic credentials. Um, so, But UKIP and Nigel Farage is very good at holding speeches, and they're very good at, at getting... Um, Well, getting the limelight somehow and making a lot of noise, but not really having any influence. But it's interesting nevertheless, um, because the real power of these populist parties lies in the ability to to, to somehow weave together symbols, myths, and narratives, and to turn the debates in the European Parliament. And if um, your skeptic parties, at least on the right, are likely to be as successful as predicted by some researchers, you could imagine that one, they're not going to be very cohesive because they're very different and they very rarely vote together. Um, but they could obstruct politics in the European Parliament. So, if, say, so say if all uh, populist right-wing MEPs decide to vote against whatever the big groups are trying to get a compromise on, they might be able to obstruct it. So, so this would be the interesting thing where they potentially could have have an influence by obstructing politics.
0: So is it possible that the... Sort of European political bodies could come to some sort of standstill, almost an American shutdown.
1: Well, that's probably an extreme scenario, but if the extreme right and extreme left gets about 200 of the seats in the European Parliament. It means that the big groups, and you do have grand coalition normally, so you have the S&D, the social democratic group, you have the EPP, the centre-right group, which is the biggest group, but they don't hold a majority, and then you have the elder group, um, where you have the Lib Dem, so they're kind of a centre, centre group. Uh, so they, 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 they quite often form a grand coalition. But when... Uh, the right-wing and the right-left-wing right um, groups would have two, two, uh, 200 of the seat, it means that these groups, MEPs in the middle, they have to be extremely cohesive. And you have on, on, some, on certain issues, such as social employment issues, you have uh, the cohesion within the EPP breaking down, where you usually only have a cohesion score of 60%, meaning that 60% of the MEPs vote according to the group line. So if, if they are not extremely cohesive you could imagine that you could come to some sort of standstill where they're not able to agree upon things on certain policy areas. So the big groups, they really need to make sure that their MEPs are behaving properly.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Mai Rasmussen. You're off the hot seat.
1: Thank you.